Turn an express elevator to hell. Going down. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I will be your host for this morning or this evening or quarter ten at night. Just whenever you happen to be listening, because after all, it's your podcast. Joining me today is Mr. Gerald King. Mr. Gerald King is from Spontaneously Combustible Games. And Mr. Gerald King is here, or Mr. King as I call him, is here to talk about Flip and Find's Diner, which is his up-and-coming Kickstarter project. So, hello, Gerald. Hey, what's happening, Richard? Uh, yeah. That's that was my that was my radio voice. I <laughs> <you> like that. <laughs> and join us after the news. Well, we'll be meeting a man who's been collecting sardines for forty-seven years. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to open them every morning so that the house smells just like sardines. He's like, if you're going to get that fresh smish fish smell, no, let's not do it. You're going to get it from sardines. <laughs> um, oh, do you have sardines? Fishy here. Do you have sardines in the in the diner game? Uh, no, we don't have sardines in the diner game. But uh-huh. I actually love sardines. Oh, there you go. That's my that's my job as a host is to find out what you like, and then talk about it. That's how. That's great. That's ex- that you, you're doing a fantastic job. Between my game, between talking about my game yeah. and talking about sardines, I don't even know where else we could take this. I just this. think we should stop now. I think we've peaked. That's cool. Three minutes in. Yeah, we have. Oh boy, <laughs> that was fast. I know. <laughs> this this never happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, it's okay. <laughs> Just give it a couple of minutes. We can start again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just give me a sandwich. Just give me a sandwich. <laughs> um, the reason that we do this, oh my goodness, it's going to be one of those episodes. Um, <laughs> the reason that we do this is because we fundamentally believe in our heart of hearts. There's simply not enough podcasts out there about sardines. And the other, <laughs> the other reason that we do this is because um, <clears throat> me and Gerald have been talking for a long time. It's been a long time. And then yeah, um, we... <laughs> we've been talking about him coming on just to talk about spontaneously combustible games in general. And then the opportunity and came, team up. And then the opportunity came up for him to talk about um Flippin' Fine's Diner. So um it seemed like an appropriate time to kinda of get him on, have a chat find out a little bit more about good self and find out a little bit more about this game that he has coming on. So thank you for coming on, Gerald. First of all. Thank you for having me, Richard. It is uh, it, it has definitely been a, a long time uh, coming. We've been working on having this chat now for, I feel like, I, I feel like it's been, has, it hasn't been six months, has it? No, I can't even, no, no let's not. 
let's not go there because yeah. then we both feel, <laughs> both feel a bit guilty about that. Yeah. Um, no, 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 no. I, I don't actually, I, I, I do my best to not believe in time. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a social construct used to control us. Exactly, exactly. And I refuse to, to wear those chains around my neck from day to day. As as many people who know me will attest, you know, I have I have issues with time. <laughs> so 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 technically while we may have been planning this chat for months now, we're we're right on time. As technically we we you know, as um you know, as they say, a wizard is never late. <laughs> <laughs> but but hey, we're not wizards. We're not wizards, so we can be as late as we want. We're not. Um, yeah. So, um, what we're going to do today is obviously we're going to find out a little bit about yourself. So we want to um, we want to look into the restaurant order of the past before we look into the specials of the present, before we jet off into the dessert of the future. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your history in relation to the hobby? How did you get into the world of pressed and printed trees? Uh, wow, that <laughs> I, I feel like I had an answer for this. But then as you said, pressed and printed trees, it reminded me of something from my childhood that that honestly makes me realize where all of this really may have come from and i'm i'm glad that we get to to get into this right now <laughs> but my <laughs> my my dad my dad used to uh collect we used to we used to collect walking sticks like we'd go for hikes mm -hmm. and we'd get walking sticks out of the woods and we'd take them home and we would sand them down or we would uh polish them or do all kinds of stuff and make them fancy yeah. and we would give those out for christmas gifts one of the things that we we used to do with the sticks that weren't worthy of uh of gifting we would cut them into individual discs with the table saw so we'd have all these little round wooden discs wow. And I would paint, I would paint different pictures on the discs. And at some point we started making little games out of these wooden discs, me and my older sister. And that might be the first experience for me in tabletop game design. But from there, I actually wanted to make video games. So I spent a lot of my middle school and high school years yeah. working with whoever would uh, would work with me locally and try to make video games. And uh, well, let's dial it back. I want to know about these flicking discs games because um, I I'm a big fan of the Catacomb series of games from Eldra, and they are basically flicking wooden discs about. So did you make was it dexterity games that you made? Was it just kind of roll and move type games? What kind of what kind of games are you making? It's funny because at the time I honestly couldn't have conceived of a roll and move game. Yeah. So we we were making uh, our, I wouldn't call them dexterity. The one game that I can I can distinctly remember was closer to like a Jenga esque stacking game. But it was just the discs, but you were trying to stack multiples to where they were like hanging off and balancing out like a tree. Oh yeah, okay. And 
And that is the like, and I don't even know if we could have called that a game. I guess, I guess that was an activity that we did with discs, because I can't remember any rules. And that's, as you can, as you can ask Michael, uh, the the my my boss. I like to call Michael my boss for spontaneously combustible games, because Michael is the person who constantly. Michael McFarlane is the person who constantly is there to remind me that I'm supposed to be getting something done. Oh, and I I. Re- I require that. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little nudge. Yeah, I'm not ashamed. No, you know, I yeah. I, uh, I like help. I, help is great. It's like a, a a nice soft hand on your shoulder, reminding you that you should turn off Netflix. <laughs> I just, you know, I don't know about you, but you know, in, if I look on a million CVs. If I see another person claiming that they're really highly motivated and a self-starter, I don't know what I'm going to do. Seriously, because everybody seems to be really, I'm highly motivated. It's like, well, do you know what? Sometimes I get up and I just can't be bothered. I need something. I I need that little nudge. I need something. I got hired. You know. I I got hired for a social media marketing job just recently at Fantasy Grounds, a uh, online RPG platform, and those, and those guys are absolutely great. I love them. But I I told him in the interview that I need a boss. I need somebody to remind me to do things yeah. and let me know that I'm doing a good job because it 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 helps. I got a lot of stuff going on. So when you say, "Hey, you did a great job on that," I'm like, "Oh man, I should do more of that." Yeah. It's not your like. So how am I doing, Richard? Yeah, you, you're doing. You know, you're you're average. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hopes. good. That's I didn't. We're gonna have I didn't want to. I didn't want to outshine anybody here. No, we're I'm gonna not have trying a, to win any kind of competition. We'll, we'll have a thirty-seven minute review, Gerald. You'll be. You'll be fine. <laughs> I've, got, I've got potentially some pointers that I can have maybe noticed just now, but it's okay. It's nothing that we can't kind of get over. It's it's fine. Um. So, <laughs> you caught. I mean, did you get the video? Did you get the video game bug from playing Sega and Nintendo when you were a younger boy? I I feel like I wanted to play video. I wanted to make video games because we were we were really too poor for me to own video games. All right, okay. So it was it was like the most amazing thing that I wanted to be a part of. So. When I first got my my first hand-me-down Nintendo, and that was probably towards the middle of Sega's reign, and I was completely blown away. And then when I finally got a computer, well, I guess actually I never I never got a computer as a child. When I finally had access to a computer that played Quake, wow. I was enthralled. There was nothing more amazing to me than running through those corridors <laughs> in Quake. And then looking up at that that pixelated sky, yeah, you know I mean through the <laughs> through the wreckage, and firing my my green laser gun or whatever it was called back then into the sky a couple times and watching that little green orb like float off into space, like oh that was just amazing for me. But you didn't need the, <laughs> you didn't need the graphics at the time because you had the speed that Quake engine just that ripped. Round. Oh yeah. You were like, you know, you were twitchy on the trigger finger when you were going up against kind of anyone at all. Nintendo oh, yeah. was it original Nintendo or was it the Super Nintendo? 
My first Nintendo was the original Nintendo Ooh. with Duck Hunt, and oh, wow. I had Duck Hunt, Mario, <laughs> and Wrath of the Black Manta. <laughs> <laughs> And those were my games. <laughs> Did you play them to death, basically? Oh, my God. No one had ever heard. No one to this day has heard of Wrath of the Black Manta. But I could describe that to you like my own childhood. <laughs> Did, it? Did it actually exist? This is, do you know, yeah. there's this whole thing. Well, there's this, isn't that whole thing about um, the film Shazam with them? Um, Sinbad or something like that in it, mm-hmm. and people can and people can like um, totally claim that this film kind of that existed, kind of didn't that, exist. And it's so thing. weird because because it it's really hard for me to even like blur the distinction on that because remember Sinbad was ubiquitous. Oh, yeah, for some time. Yeah, you know what I mean you couldn't get away from Sinbad. No, he was everywhere. So it's very very reasonable when you look at that Shazam, you're like, oh yeah, that happened. <laughs> no. No, it didn't. Collect, yeah, collective. It's kind of like collective um, fake memories. Cause they, oh yeah, because they did this though. They um, years ago they they did a psychological experiment where they took kids and they put them in pictures. They put their photographs into pictures of a hot air balloon and they shown them the photograph and they went, "Do you remember this?" And some of them went, "No, I don't remember it at all." But others were able to concoct entire stories about what kind of happened on that day which is i always kind of thought was kind of fascinating so you you concentrated in you concentrated on high school looking at getting into kind of video game development um were you do were you playing the D stuff at that time were you doing anything kind of tabletop related at that time at all no but i think during that time I was so involved in the game design process. And at that time, I didn't realize that the way I went about designing video games is identical to the way that I go about designing board games. I've always been designing physical games. Mm -hmm. I was just giving all my notes over to programmers because I was never a programmer. I'm horrible at math. Everything that has to do with numbers just confounds me, <laughs> including time. Because <laughs> it, so, it is actually three o'clock in the morning and we're supposed to be doing this five hours ago. But, you know, <laughs> that's, I'm only kidding. And there, there would have been no point in you telling me, we're going to get it done when we get it done. Exactly. <laughs> there's, never, there's never a better time like the present. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you said you were kind of... Your kind of your game design roots went hand in hand with kind of like what you were doing. So did you then, you know, did you go to college? Did you get yourself a job? I mean, what what kind of happened after that? Then? Well, <clears throat> I think what what really happened was my my good buddy Marcus Katzback, Mo Fwacky, uh he heard about this, or he was a part of this uh, online community based around this web comic called Penny Arcade. Oh yeah, if, yeah. If yeah. you've ever heard of it. <laughs> yeah, heard of it. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and so they had this huge party, okay? And like I want to say 2003, and they called it a convention or something, but it was a, just a party. So then in uh 2004 when they decided they were going to have this party again, my buddy Mark was like, "Look, dude, we're going. Like we have to go." It's going to be amazing. Hmm. And I'm like, at that time, I'm 
And as always, I'm down for whatever. It don't matter. Let's do it. Mm. You know? So I'm like, let's go. Where's it at? He's like, it's in Seattle. We live in Cleveland. So we're, I, I think it's roughly like 2,400 miles away. And what, num- what number bus goes there? Is that not the 73 goes there? <laughs> yeah, no, no. You just, yeah, you just hop the 71 all the way to the 90 west. <laughs> oh, right. I thought it was the 73. But I take it that bus go to Texas instead. I just get confused. <laughs> 2400 miles that's just ridiculous yeah which is which is fine because now we drive to texas every year too (laughs) for pack south (laughs) but it all started it all started driving to seattle but of course us you know i mean we have to over plan everything we have to like make everything as awesome as it could possibly be at every possible moment that was our goal back then Hmm. so we decide if we're going to drive across country we should like oh and and mind you this was our this was the beginning train of thought this isn't where we ended up but we decided we should buy a u-haul and trick the u-haul out with couches and stuff in the back Mm -hmm. and set it up to where we can play video games and bring a bunch of extra people and we can pick people up on the way and we'll do this amazing road trip and it's just going to be the most epic road trip that leads to the most epic party ever and uh we we started figuring out how to do that and we spent two or three months trying to formulate this plan and how we were going to go across the country like this of course none of that happened did you not get and did you not get kevin hart turning up because not <laughs> normally nowadays if you do like any type of road trip he kind of rocks up at some point oh well see see that's the problem if we had if we had conceived that in a in an era with YouTube and Instagram and yeah. and everything that we have these days, oh man, it would have been beautiful. And and speaking of which, it still may be beautiful. I don't let dreams like that die. No. But <laughs> in that day and age, back then, this was uh, fifteen years ago. You know, we, we we were just doing this all in our own little world, and we ended up. I want to say that first year we ended up flying out there, or did we drive? I can't remember, but <laughs> one of the successive years, and once again, we're talking about time here. It means nothing. Yeah. But one of those following years, maybe the third year, we finally got the what we called the cross-country super trip together. Oh. And the cross-country super trip was a traveling idiot road show of us <laughs> and a bunch of different people who wanted to go to PAX and... uh we we had oh I, I wish I could remember all their names. I feel like I do them a disservice by forgetting their names. That's okay. You can we they, can put them in the show notes. <laughs> nah, I'm not gonna go digging for their names. They're just big. lost to time. They're just lost. <laughs> <laughs> What's it, Rick or All these things. Well, they, I I have stories. I have stories for every one of them, but their names are all gone. But there was these guys from Jersey. They they drove from Jersey, met up with us in Elyria, Ohio. And then we drove from Elyria to Michigan and to all these other points across the the map, the northern part of the map to Seattle to pick up different cars. I feel like that first year we had eight cars. I feel like the best year there was 11 cars total that uh, went across country. One year we had what we called the super van and or was it the super van? I want to say it was a super van, <laughs> but it was a van we rented. 
and it had TVs. We had Mario Kart inside the van <laughs> while we were driving across country. And we also had an RV. These guys brought an RV so that we were the lead vehicle in the van. They were the tail vehicle in the RV. And people would take turns going from the RV to the van to play games or to hang out in the RV so they could rotate out of the cars. That year was epic. It's like Cannonball Run. I don't know what that is. It's like a big race thing. Or a convoy. Oh. Or f- yeah, then, yeah. We, that's what it was. It was a convoy. It, we actually did time-lapse footage of uh, from the inside of the vehicle and from looking out the back of the vehicle, showing all the cars behind us a couple years. And it, it, it was just a fantastic time. But that introduced me to PAX, and it gave me the confidence to be a part of the community because as coming into that community that first year in 2004 Mm. and i mean let's be honest here i'm black Mm. (laughs) and because i'm black in in 2004 there weren't a lot of people that looked like me at events like this Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and so it was it was definitely a shock to to my system you know just to have to like understand because yeah we were a lot younger so we turned it into a game we would go around and actually try to find and like count how many other black guys there were (laughs) or you know i mean just people who weren't white you know and we i I remember one year we got up to like 11 you know out of like how many thousands of people people there yeah and uh and so doing the cross-country super trip and i mean i'm not shy i'm never shy And, and, and mind you, most of these, these realizations, they're all in retrospect of like the understanding of how it was actually affecting my behavior and how it, it, it guided my journey through, through the culture. But uh, we, when we started doing the cross-country super trip, we would get there and there would be people waiting for us and clapping and like, you know what I mean? We'd pull up in front of the convention center and there'd be a hundred people out there to 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 greet us so i was a part of this big spectacle this like wonderful thing <laughs> and that you know what i mean it, it was just the coolest thing and then it evolved into us throwing a, a like a rival party on saturday night which then became the party called c lab all right and c lab were these was a series of epic parties that we threw in hotels and we ended up getting like a lot of the the bands and and musical acts and just notable people who were at PAX, they would end up coming to these parties because, I mean, we just, we knew how to throw a party. (laughs) Me and Marcus, you know, we just, it was something we were good at. So we would have these really cool parties and we'd have two or three hotel rooms and bathtubs full of booze. And, you know, it was the, it was the coolest party at, at PAX for sure at the time, back before there was all these like huge sponsored parties Sure, like the rock, so, the rock and roll version of kind of like tabletop. Then, oh yeah, yeah, we were definitely we we definitely tried to to make it way more fun than it was supposed to be, and we usually all embarrassed ourselves. What was it like? Just it's like very. Do you clear. mind? You're getting your meeples in my cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think there was ever any cocaine at the party, but the. Uh, the amount of booze that was there would have even it was it was definitely more than enough. 
So was there always, but, was there kind of like the bleary-eyed kind of days after where you kind of go around the show going, I can't even remember how I got back to my bed. <laughs> it's like... You know what? <laughs> you know what? We never, we were always so... Because at the end of the day, I was always excited for PAX. Yeah. So I don't ever remember not being excited and alert. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I'm sure I had to have felt like crap some days. But back then, and even now, you know, because I go above and beyond to make sure I attend as, as many PAX events as I can, especially now that I'm I'm an enforcer and I kind of I work for them. Mm-hmm. So it's awesome. But back then, like, it was, oh, my God. It was, like, the most amazing thing I, I did every year. So there was nothing that could stop the fun. <laughs> it was nonstop. It was when we got home. Yeah, I mean, when we got home, that's when it kicked us. And even the drive back, oh, oh the drive back was always the worst. Two days of driving after a six-day party, you know? like It's not just oh, that, though, but when you're driving home, you seem to be constantly driving uphill. And where you were going, oh. where you were going, like, say, 70 on the way there, you're only able to reach 45 for some reason because everything seems to be an awful lot slower. And... You're just like, whoa, when can we get home? And it seems like four hours get added on to the journey time, no matter what happens. It's just oh, even piece. even more when you're when you're stretching it out over two days. And on top of that, <clears throat> you're you're driving with people like at, at 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 that at some point we had become like professional drivers, me and Marcus, you know, we were just we knew how to drive. And and then my wife, Sarah, she is like the driving master she'll drive 10 hours straight and get mad at people when they want to stop and use the bathroom <laughs> she's like a professional truck driver who's never driven a truck <laughs> so on the way back everybody's like there's all this tension because like i don't even want to wait for you right now and some people are ahead of other people so the drive back was always brutal <laughs> did you split it up? Did you split it up between you know? Did you just do some of the driving? Did was it a case of I'll do half an hour, then you can do five hours? <laughs> oh no, we were we had a pretty strict uh, regiment on how we drove. There had to be a minimum of three drivers per vehicle, and we always switched. Everybody had to switch drivers at the same time so that we were all fresh, and so that everyone, regardless of how you felt got a chance to rest because while some people can drive for 10 hours straight usually when they drive for 10 hours straight they crash for a lot longer than everybody else after that so it throws everything off so there was like there was we had a manual that we gave to every car that detailed how you were like how the the trip would go when it came to how everybody took turns driving, how everyone had to make sure they slept and what you should eat, what you should not drink or eat while driving because it was going to increase the likelihood that you had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Me and Marcus did a lot of research and made sure and Marcus and Marcus especially, you know, I was really just entertainment. <laughs> did you um did you do like kind of like um studies into it did you have people doing kind of like mock driving stuff did you have clipboards did you have like lab coats where you were measuring people and they'll say let's try them on the doritos (laughs) no but we did we did track everyone's mileage gas usage and any kind of lights that came on (laughs) like we wanted to know if you got uh if you got a 
an alert on your vehicle or anything like that. We tracked all of that so that we knew that at this mile you had that alert and we've known for this many miles. We were, we, we enjoy looking at data and just, you know, figuring out how that translates because it's fun. I think that's fun. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not fun. (laughs) (laughs) That make a story and a half. That make a board game and a half. Why are you making a board game about that? We, me and Marcus and, (laughs) <laughs> that's where the story's going. So <laughs> I'll just go back over here and sit in the corner. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Jerry. It's, o- it's okay. I've got this. Okay. I'm just going to get comfy. <laughs> I'm just but well, we didn't actually we didn't actually end up trying to to make a board game about the cross country super trip. But through the cross country super trip, I was able to to get up enough confidence to feel like it was okay to be creative in front of people you know because mm-hmm. I, I think with uh video games you can hide no one no one has to know the person who made the video game no one ever has to see the person who designed the video game or wrote the story you don't see that person he's an anonymous nobody you know and that's okay i was ha- very happy with that with uh tabletop games you literally, to play test the game, have to sit in front of people and let them tell you that it sucks. You know? But is, it, like, is that not make it a much more sociable experience then? I think it makes it a terrifying experience, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, God. It's the, that part of it for me is absolutely terrifying. But what's, what's really comforting and what what makes me feel good about it or like makes me feel okay with it is that i can see the same discomfort in other game designers faces when they bring out a brand new thing you know when they when they when they're not as confident in how good it is because sometimes you know you nailed it you know and there's no there's no worry. You put it on the table. You know everybody's going to have a good time. You know there might be some issues, but you know that you nailed it. And other times, you really just want to try something. And you don't always know how people are going to react to something that you just wanted to try. And especially at first, it's scary. And sometimes people are mean, not because they're trying to be mean, but just whatever, you know, I mean, their level and where your level was at that moment were too far away. So it comes off as 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 terse or hurtful or whatever. Yes. And yeah, I mean people can just turn around and I mean it can be just a couple of the couple of words that they could you know, what did you think of it? It was okay. I just didn't I didn't find it fun. And then you're like, oh, well, I've been playtesting this thing for like two months and, you know, you're the first person that's ever said that. But, you know, it's, it's like you can't... Video games, I guess you can say, well, listen, there's another there's another 50 first-person shooters out there, you know, you can go out and play that. But board games, the playtesting, it's almost like that single person making the single comment just to say, do you know what it is? It's like... See, rather than draw four cards, if I drew three cards, that would make a difference to the game, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and and I, 
And I feel like, too, with with board games, you invest, you personally invest that time to get a negative reaction. With a video game, you don't actually have to sit through their playthrough. You know what I mean? You can be on the phone or, you know, recording a podcast or, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Doing anything. No, you don't see anybody. I mean, let's face it. When did... You don't have to look in their eyes throughout the whole process and, like, and and like feel the 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 palpable disappointment in the air, <laughs> and like that's that's what can be like a little intimidating sometimes. Yeah, well, let's face it. If somebody did the say, okay, the Monster Hunter World beta was out, you know, over the Christmas period, yeah, and there would have been thousands of people playing that game. But there would definitely have not been thousands of people that would have been giving them any feedback at all about whether or not they thought it was a good experience or not. If you're sitting down in front of a group and you have got, you know, coloured cards and you've got counters and whatever, you can tell straight away from looking at people's faces. It's like they're getting this and regardless of how it looks, they're grasping the concept and that's really, really working well for them. But you can also see the people that are struggling. You can also see the people that are technically tapping tapping out of the game quite early because they just don't seem to grasp it or or get it. And I I can, I can you know you can totally see that. And I think going back to your thing when you're saying that um, <clears throat> the board game designers are generally out there, I think because the terms of the resources. I mean, you and me could sit down. And we could create a board game within half a day. Yeah? Oh, That's yeah. a reality. With nothing, but, yeah. with nothing but a piece of paper, yeah. some scissors, and a pen. Yeah, exactly. And we can go to town. We could go and we could do something that's together. You know, if if um, if it's a studio and we're thinking about putting a game out, I mean, that's a team. You know, that's, that's five people. That's potentially ten people. If it's a big software house, that could potentially be hundreds of people investing yeah. thousands of dollars into it. So, but I mean, with you, you did the pack stuff, and you're getting more and more involved in the scene. So, where do you, how do you go from being so involved in the scene to actually thinking, well, the video games for whatever reason, I can't, you know. That's not going to work out for me, or it's not. I'm just heading in a different what? direction from it. I mean, where where did you go kind of next with the kind of the tabletop stuff? Well, the video games they were just. It's like you said the the amount of uh, coordination and resources necessary to make video games is daunting. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so that, that it's a that's a tougher nut to crack, and I think we just ended up me and Marcus ended up working on this card game. He was, uh, he was, he was taking a class, like an economics class. One of his classes for college, we were both in school and, uh, he, he was one of his economics classes and we were basically, it was almost like a study aid. We were making this, this little economics game. Yeah. And we spent two or three months just playing around with it. And I think in our heads at first, yeah, I mean, our first discussions about it was as we were considering it as a, a computer app. You know what I mean? Something that was done on the computer, something that was done in your browser. Mm-hmm. That was, you know what I mean? That was when the browser games like Newgrounds and all that stuff was really hot. So we thought it would be like that. But when you're putting it down on paper, you start to see it come to life. And then we were more aware of tabletop games because it was becoming a thing. Yeah. 
So we were like, well, maybe this could be a card game. So we started prototyping it as a card game. And we never finished it. <laughs> but uh, it's I still have the notes for it. I still look at it every every once in a while. Like once a year, I'll look at it like, man, I should put this together. <laughs> but, but who knows? Are it, you tempted just not to put it together and just leave it? It's Yeah. And I mean, I got a lot of nostalgic uh, projects that never got finished, especially from my video game design. And now I'm um, now I don't now I, I would like to not have so many unfinished board games because <laughs> I have so many video games where I have concept art and we got a level or two here and we got a playable demo and then it just stopped and we never did anything else. But it's hard. I mean, it's hard to get it to that level. It's hard to get it to that next level. And you know, it, I mean, the number of okay, number of people, the guests that I've had on here, that have said, I've mentioned, I was playing around with the video game stuff, and then just going to cardboard, going to paper was so much easier because, you know, for me to change the color of the background, to change how the character looks, to change a mechanic, to change a reaction mechanic or something, takes me, you know, a Sharpie and, you know, a Sharpie and some coloring pencils. For me, I do it on a video game, takes me, you know, two weeks of hard programming, bug testing, fixing, patch upgrades and everything, and everything kind of that. So... But did that that started you down the line then? You know, you're working there, putting together this idea. I mean, when did you think, well, actually, let's let's actually step into this world then. Let's let's see how far the rabbit hole kind of goes. I think it just uh, playing around with it. I hadn't really designed anything in so long, and playing around with that idea reopened the floodgates for me. Mm -hmm. But it it had opened my eyes to. To cardboard it had, you know what I mean <laughs> it had like reminded me that oh man there's these other things because we played board games as a kid in my house but we we were really we were readers and writers in my home we did a lot of reading a lot of writing a lot of poetry so we weren't like I can't remember too many times where we sat down as a, a family and played games other than like at other families house like cousins and stuff yeah so but we would we would read poetry together you know like we would like read out loud to each other at different passages and uh we would read the the mythologies that was one of me and my mom's favorite thing was was to read mythologies so i i love characters and stories and just those interactions and i love the the i love graphic novels comic books and the way we visually represent those stories and i saw that in board games but i saw it the most at pax when i saw sentinels of the multiverse oh right yeah yeah the first year that sentinels of the multiverse dropped and i between sentinels of the multiverse and dominion those are the two experiences that made me say, okay, I'm going to be making board games. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those two games, I, they, I was like, yeah, this is what I'll be doing now. I don't know how long it's going to be, but I'm going to get there. And that was, you know, that was it. Because Sentinels of the Multiverse for me, seeing comic books brought to life in a game 
that made me feel like the action was there, I was like, oh my God. Because before that, a lot of the examples for card games and board games were, were interesting to me, but I didn't feel like the action was there. Because I come from playing spades and dice, yeah. you know, so and, and dominoes. When you're when you play a game of spades, like when you play a game of spades in the hood, <laughs> it's it's a it's a raucous game. You know what I mean? There's there's everything from from extreme hostility, yeah. you know, to which your partner, especially if you're playing with partners and your partner makes a mistake that you knew they shouldn't have made. Like, how did you not know that? And so there's, <laughs> there, it gets real intense. And I hadn't really seen that that level of intensity in the other games that I had watched. You know what I mean, because at PAX I saw a lot of board games, but nothing really pulled me in until I saw that 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 Adam Ribataro artwork. You know, and I was like, oh, that looks awesome. I was like, that is that is what is going to make me sit down for two hours. <laughs> you know what I mean, like. I was like, that will keep me in my room for two hours. No complaining. Yes, mom. <laughs> I will be good. <laughs> Did you get a copy then? I mean, was yeah, I fanboyed the I fanboyed the crap out of those guys for like three or four years. Because yeah. <laughs> I was at every PAX and they were at every PAX. You don't get to get away from me. Did you meet? <laughs> every time meet, I see them. Did you meet Chris Bedell then? Yeah, I've, every single one of them. I've, every, they, they aren't allowed to be in public near me without me coming over and fanboying <laughs> to this day i took my kids i introduced them to my kids oh, i took all my kids over this whole my whole squad walked over to them in the in the westin out at pax east one year it was on monday they were like waiting for their their <laughs> they were waiting for their their cab to go get their flight and i just they're sitting there eating lunch and i'm like come on kids we're gonna go down and meet oh, the sentinels of the multiverse goodness. guys I saw him, went upstairs, got my kids, and brought them back down. I love those guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, I absolutely love them. I love the fact that every time they see me, they smile and they know it's coming. I, you gotta, I feel like you got to be able to fanboy over something, man. That's my, my daughter, baby Jerry. She taught me that. You got to just, you got to, you got to be able to gush over something silly like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's healthy. It is. There's nothing wrong with a bit, you know, liking something. There's yeah. nothing wrong with getting some joy from it, and there's nothing wrong with like letting other people know that you're happy about something. As well, well, you should, you know, you should find, you should have something that gives you so much joy that it is uncontainable at times. Yeah. You know, like whether it's your your, your spouse or a game or <laughs> or something or you know, but there should be things in your life that make you feel that great. Do you, you know, um did you did you get did you get all the bits then of you did you back the last kind of Kickstarter because I think Chris said that's it Sentinels there's not going to be any more. You know, I'm horrible. I I I don't keep up with news. I hear about everything. Like right now, that was the first I heard of that. I don't I don't keep up enough. Hmm. I I expect that I'm gonna run into you and I'm gonna hear it. I'm really kind of. I guess I'm kind of old school that way. <laughs> like, like when I see you, we're going to talk about whatever happened. We're going to hash it all out. We're going to, you know, but I might not, I might not even talk to you at all. That's, I guess that's a skill I've gotten from conventioning a lot. 
because all my friends, you know what I mean, all my really close friends at this point, other than the few people locally, I see them six times a year, seven times a year at conventions, and that's that's it. In between, you know, we're living our lives and and talking on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, but that's not such a. I mean, that's not such a big thing. I know, no, it's, you know, I mean, I know it's people wonderful. That, you know, live. Some people only see their family six or seven times a year. You know, if they're you know just because the way their life kind of pans out and stuff like that. I, I, think that, you know, I think that I think that this transition has made our friendships more familial. You know, we we have stronger friendships because of the way we can passively passively observe one another through social media mm-hmm. and talk only at the right times. Yeah. You know, I think that's an important thing. Because sometimes you're just not supposed to be bothered with people. Yeah. Yeah. So, where, I mean, how did the idea for the, I mean, you've got um, the company appears. Spontaneously Combustible Games. Spontaneously Combustible appeared from uh, the Ultimate Team-Up events. Or not from, but because of the Ultimate Team-Up events. Mm -hmm. I've realized that those events are like a little beacon in uh, northeastern Ohio and the the area for game designers. Because every every month or every couple weeks we'll get a, a new game designer that has been here the whole time. But now they they're a part of this community, and uh, Michael McFarlane and Todd Jackie Bison were working on pests, and they needed somewhere to play test it, and they brought it to the events, and I helped them out with the Kickstarter and did whatever I could to help them get the Kickstarter all the way funded for pests last year, and. After that, I had already been working on Flippin' Fine's Diner for three years, two and a half years. It had changed five times. It <laughs> got a, so many names, and it the the it was it's been four different games. <laughs> I worked on four different food games, and it finally ended up as Flippin' Fine's Diner, as any playtesters at the events can attest to. <laughs> so, but, uh, his ultimate team up. That's you said. It's a is that Ohio based then? Yeah, that's northeastern Ohio, and we actually do events every couple months in Pittsburgh. I'd like to do some more events there. Mm-hmm. They're re- they got a a growing scene there, but no playtesting events either. So it sounds like a very a very Sentinels of the Multiverse type name. The Ultimate Team Up. <laughs> it's literally it's, it's, when it's like, when I came up with it. The first year we did the events, it was me and Andrew Miller uh-huh. who uh, did the Cloud Dungeon. Uh-huh. Uh, from and he, uh, I when we talked about the the name, I couldn't think of a name, and I finally just said it's the ultimate team up because we're just gonna all do this together. And I pictured like this this crazy like Voltron like comic book <laughs> style cover because I'm I'm really a comic book nerd. Like if I if you're gonna call me a nerd, I'm a comic book nerd. You know like. That's the thing that I really can break down to you. I can give you issue numbers and like we won't even go there. It's a whole nother podcast. But, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so (laughs) now I'm thinking about comic books. Step away. Step away. I know. No. (laughs) No, I've got into. What what have I I started reading? Batman. The um, Dark Knight stuff, the metal series. Oh, see now, 
See, now I don't keep up with any of it anymore, though. It's all gone. Now I'm a board game guy. <laughs> you know? Well, like I, I tr- yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely... It's definitely, I, I like looking at the images now, but I'm not as invested in those stories. I, I like our stories now. But wait, where was I? So pests. Hmm. So pests came out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, pests, yeah. yeah. So they, so yeah, when, after, after they released pests and, and honestly, you know, just watching Michael guide the process so effectively the first time he had ever done it, you know, I was like, well, I don't want to do this alone. (laughs) And I just helped you guys do this and watched you guys do a great job. So why don't I just help you guys do it again and we'll do it together. (laughs) It just didn't seem, it seemed silly to like after, you know what I mean? To like walk away from that process and be like, okay guys, I'm going to go do this all by myself though later. So you guys have a great time. Like, why would I do that? It was a fantastic experience doing it with the with with the group of us, with the three of us, and everybody else who who helped. You know, really the four of us because Mark helped, and you know, there's just yeah. You know, why 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 go at it alone? Is it see when you've been working? Because you said you worked on flipping fines for four years. Is it difficult? About is three. it difficult to draw a line under it to say right that is it? There's nothing more when you've been tinkering with something because it ends up in the danger of having, I think, of anything in development, even be a board game, anything, a book, a film, some sewing, you know, some arts and craft, whatever, you know, cake baking. But if you have it going on for so long and you keep tinkering, it ends up becoming a habit to tinker with something as opposed to becoming actually a project that you should finish. Did you did you have to be strict with yourself and say actually, I'm gonna put a deadline on this and then we're gonna get it my, released and designed and that's gonna be it. Well, one I at no point considered. You know, I mean, at no point in the beginning did I consider it being something that I would publish and make money off of. Mm-hmm. Originally, as I was developing it. I really started developing it when I started the Ultimate Team Up events. So it was kind of like, it was really the thing that was there so that if no game designer showed up, I definitely had a game to be play tested. You know? And that wasn't the reason it was this game, but it was the reason that I was focused on making sure I had a physical game and not just notes on paper. So the events themselves are what motivated me to like put it down and actually like put it down on paper. But I really, I really didn't consider it. I didn't really consider it necessary to ever finish it, but I knew what I wanted it to be the whole time. So it was like, I, I was never distracted. It was never like a wandering process. I always was trying to make a memory game that was really good for a family to sit down and play and to get through and everybody have a good time and, you know, and like, and just to feel like you were actually having to memorize things and people would have to stop and think and be like, okay, everybody stop talking. I can't remember where it's at. You know I mean? I want, I wanted those moments from the beginning. And it's funny. One of the first play tests I did, uh, Ben Canellos, he, uh, he, 
designed Red Scare. He uh he said his feedback. He was like, "Well, what are you trying to do with the game?" And I said, "I really just want to make a memory game that you know kind of feels like you're making orders in a restaurant." And he's like, "Well, you didn't do that." <laughs> <laughs> and and he he elaborated from there, but that shoe dropped like that, you know, and it really I I man. I choked up a little bit. I'll never, I won't lie. I don't think I really ever said that, but you know, it, it, it bit deep, but it was the truth because I hadn't at that point done anything near that, you know, like if just thinking about what it was at that time, you know, like, and I knew it wasn't done then, but I didn't realize how far it was from finished, but I just, I mean, because I, I think I stopped working on it for like four or five months at one point, and I was just solely focused on the events yeah, and, and doing Ultimate Team Up. That became my game for a while. Yeah, but you got to chop and change because you can stare at the same thing again and again and again. Yeah, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm lucky because, you know, before I was speaking to you, I was speaking to somebody from Estonia. Before I was, you know, the time before that, I was speaking to one of the guys that worked on the Dark Souls board game. The time before that, I was speaking to yeah. somebody that was order- organizing Aircon. So my time doing the show allows me to speak to lots of different people. I don't really get a chance to get, I guess, deflated. Unless, you know, on occasion, you'll be like... That's what... On occasion, it's kind of like, I know I've got to edit this. And then sometimes yeah, you realize yeah. there's, there's, there's an yeah, end. there's always that. Yeah, there's always the the one part of everything yeah. that isn't the thing you want to have to be doing. You know, I hate spreadsheets, but you know, whatever. Sometimes you just got to make a spreadsheet. <laughs> just got to get in there, <laughs> get in there with that yeah, I don't, yellow but, highlighter and just go crazy. Look, but I don't I don't do it anymore though. I use Trello. I'm done with spreadsheets. But anyway, <laughs> Trello's okay. Trello's okay. I use a bit of HubSpot as well. Bit of Trello. Hubspot. Yeah, sometimes you got to make a spreadsheet, though. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> it's sad. Let, they, they really got that one right. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> let's um, let's talk. You know, let's talk about um, flipping Fine's Diner. Oh, let's well. let's let's tell me the mechanics. I mean, from what I can see, I'd be guessing that basically you put your tiles, you put your cards down. You put your orders down, and then you basically have to remember where everything is in order to make up the orders, and you score points based on those orders. And I'd be guessing that's with what you'd be doing. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, you are you're going to lay out a grid of tiles, a five by five grid, mm-hmm. and they're all going to be face down, and kind of like how the old school memory game was, where you would flip over two and but back then you were trying to match sets and stuff like that mm-hmm. you're going to flip over four tiles and try to match those ingredients to the ingredients on the uh on the order cards that are face up the order cards are out there for everybody kind of like that ticket line cuz when i when i came up with the idea for flipping finds i worked at a uh, little local restaurant right by me and uh I had actually, I had actually brainstormed all these games, 
specifically for individual people at the restaurant because I was like, I want to make games for one person and I want to make them as like a gift, Mm -hmm. you know, like I was going to give it to him for Christmas. Me, of course, being so naive, thinking that I was, of course, I started this idea in like October, thinking I was going to (laughs) whip together five games really quick and (laughs) and produce them all in time for Christmas presents for these people. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I was having a really good time that year with the team in that kitchen. It was really fun. You know, we were just having a good time. And uh, the Flippin' Finds idea came from, from that. So it was, uh, <laughs> I got lost in reverie for a moment there. <laughs> I could see you having a little think of it. There's the, the history and... Could you see the thought so bubble? I, like the thought bubble, like second, slowly drifted. Kind of floated up. Kind of floated yeah, up. Yeah, it really did. Was <laughs> wait? Was having the ultimate was team it? up? Was that good for playtesting then? I mean, did you? Well, you know, was it just a case of did you basically almost have a playtesting group ready and there before you had a game? I mean, is that what? Is are they quite a hungry, open to new ideas? welcome to kind of try kind of try anything because i think that's yeah potentially a, when you go to a local game group that can be one of the most difficult things to find is to find somebody that's willing to sit down with you with your 57 pieces of white paper and your you know your counters that you've laid out and your you know your you're kind of yeah. stuck on dice i mean the guys at ultimate team up are they were they really open to just saying yeah let's let's stick it down let's let's have a Let's find out what this, you know, flipping finds diners all about. You know, we're really lucky to have uh, Case Western Reserve and Kent State and BGSU, all these like really cool, like, and they're kind of popular. I feel like they're, they're known these little uh, colleges in Northeastern Ohio, because we have some really, really smart play testers. You know, like, I mean, like, and, and game designers. So our our playtesters will break things down for you. I can remember uh, Kevin, <laughs> and everybody in our group knows Kevin because Kevin will tear your game apart, okay? Uh, I feel like, and I may be misquoting it, he's a math professor. I don't, I don't know his exact title, mm-hmm. but he's a math guy. And uh, he, you can put any game in front of him, and he will play it. He will play it it to the optimal strategy, like, and he will destroy it. If there's holes, he's gonna expose them. So, and then we we just we have a lot of really uh, fantastic people who who take part in our play tests every week. You know, some some people show up almost every single week, and and they just they're just ready. You can bring them anything, and they're like, "Come on, let's just get through it. Let's see what this has." You know, and they'll and they give great feedback too. So we're really lucky because I don't think that that flipping finds would even actually exist <laughs> without their input. Because like I can I can think of very key things in the game, like key moments when when fun was unlocked from feedback directly from playtesters, you know, where they were like, Well, this and this and you know the 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 tip cards was something that came from playtesters because it just didn't you know it wasn't scoring properly in the end it didn't feel right yeah 
and somebody was like, oh, well, you should do something like maybe like this. And then we actually sat there and talked it out. You know, me and a me and a play tester sat there and talked it out. And he he pretty much helped me develop it right there from from the idea that he had from us playing two or three rounds. And they were actually one of the most competitive uh, play tests I had ever seen. They were so serious. Oh, my God. Was it um, was it scary? <coughs> was it scary thinking, right? This is going to Kickstarter. Let's take it to Kickstarter in the next level. Were you quite happy? Because it sounded to me like you're quite happy to have it just rolling out Ultimate Team Up. When did you decide, right? We're going to take this to Kickstarter. Let's actually just do this. Get it out there. Draw the line under it, and you know, push it out into Kickstarter. Uh it's. It's kind of it's kind of scary to to put it out on Kickstarter, but I feel like you can't be afraid to fail so much that that it that it that it taints the meat. You know what I mean? Like yeah. don't let the fear, you know what I mean? Don't you can't let the fear seep into the meat. <laughs> no, no. So I I I really I really like try to not not even worry about that part of it because I am really just happy with it just existing and I would really like for it to be a game that so many people have in their house and get to experience with their families and play over and over again and just have a great time with Mm -hmm. but if if people don't want that then I'm not you know I'm not mad at them might be a little sad a little and has it maybe one tear and (laughs) And has it been um has it been kinda of different making the move into kinda of doing the promotion of the game then? Uh it's honestly one of the things that I preach hardcore to everybody in our community in Ultimate Team Up is just like you're marketing from the moment you conceive the idea. Because as a game designer you know, we have to be, we have to consider ourselves entrepreneurs, but we also have to consider ourselves like, we're really like public figures, you know, like mm-hmm. people are going to, we, we have to expose ourselves on Facebook to get, and, and Twitter to get play testers at conventions. And, you know, unless you're insulated within a company to where you have access to focus groups and play test groups to where you don't have to put yourself out there, when you first, uh, when you first get going, you absolutely have to put yourself out there in front of all kinds of people. And in this day and age, that might expose you to people like knowing who you are and, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's a, there's a, uh, I just totally dropped my phone and it distracted the crap out of me. What? <laughs> <laughs> it was like everything just fell apart over here you don't even know i'm like Oops. everything was falling and i was i was actually talking without the microphone even near my face at all for a second there <laughs> Can you... i was just keep i was just trying to keep my face next to my mic <laughs> even though i didn't have my headphones in at all <laughs> oh goodness um but but i i like to remind everybody that you're always marketing your game so there isn't really, I don't feel like there's much of a shift. I feel like now there's a lot more pressure 
you know, for me to do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> like I can't, I can't just decide not to, to ju- be on social media today. That's how I feel now, you know? Well, I mean, so. I mean, the game's out. I mean, how much are you, how much are you going to be, well, how, how much do you need to, to kind of put, to pay to get involved in the Kickstarter? Uh, what are you going to be putting the price uh, on? I believe it's at 20. I better check, though, before I go. <laughs> My, Michael finished the Kickstarter preview page right before he messaged. He let me know right before we uh, we started recording. And I honestly didn't look at it. I'll, all I know is we need 288 backers at, uh, at an $8,000 goal. Okay. <laughs> Well, what we'll do is so, we'll make sure we'll we'll make sure that um, you know when the, when the campaign goes live, we're going to make sure that it's um, we sing it out kind of loud and clear. Um, but we'll also obviously make sure that we we shall confirm the kind of the the kind of the cost as well. Um, have you got other games planned? I mean, are is there is there kind of like a miniature game you're thinking about? Is there a you know is there other games that you're kind of gonna get involved uh, in. no 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 minis yet i don't i don't have any minis planned but i uh i because like i said i come from a, a story a writing background so uh for for me i created an entire world around flip and finds diner you know flip flip and find our lifelong friends who have known each other for almost 30 years <laughs> and they've been through their life and they both grew up in the same town and they went through their lives and then they both ended up moving back to the same town and living now that they live in that town, they own this restaurant together and flip is the, he runs the the front of the house and he books jazz bands on the weekend (laughs) in the front of the house and, uh, find, Find runs the kitchen. He's in charge of the cook and he's, you know, he's a chef. He fancies himself a pretty decent chef and he runs the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, this game is about find, you know, it's really about find. It's about where he's at. He's in the kitchen. It's about his world. <laughs> the next game that I have planned for this, this story is about flip and it's about the front of the house and how he books the jazz bands and how the competition between him booking his bands with the other venues on the street. So that's that's you know that's a teaser for for the 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 next installation in in that universe. But then we're also right now working on emergency generator, which is a simultaneous dice rolling game that Michael McFarlane designed and that I've been working on him with the story and the design and stuff and that is a cooperative simultaneous dice rolling game where you play as superheroes trying to resolve emergencies around the globe and that one has been playtesting very well and cool. we're really excited about that so so if um if people want to find you on social media where can we find you uh you can find me as ultimate team up uh at ultimate team up on twitter ultimate team up on Facebook and then at ultimate underscore team up on Instagram. I'm fairly active on everything. 
uh, I love chatting with people on Messenger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Friend me on Facebook and watch my stories. I, I really do my best to use cute stickers and good frames. <laughs> <laughs> High production value. <laughs> it's not live streaming. It's drive streaming. It's just amazing. And Flippin' <laughs> Fines Diner is going to be coming to you on um, March 6th. Yeah, March 6th. We, we're doing a 35-day campaign because we're trying to squeeze all our conventions in there because I, I really, really wanted to end it on PAX. Yeah. But we're doing our first protospiel oh, in okay. Cleveland all right, okay. on March 9th through 11th. So we also really, really wanted to have it launched during that first protospiel because Andrew Stackhouse uh, has organized this protospiel for, for us and we're just really excited to have people coming from other places to make games in northeastern ohio it's so exciting that's cool that's cool well we'll make sure that any links that you have will go in the show notes so that we have um we have notes to show um yeah i got i got all kinds of notes for you you. (laughs) um listen thank you very very much for coming on gerald this has been a lot of fun um really appreciate you giving us the time as I say, we will be making sure that people are more than aware of what's of uh, Flippin' Finds Diner when it's kind of launched. Um, but just, yeah, thank you very, very much for coming on. Um, hey, no problem. Oh, also, mm-hmm. really quick, me and Todd Jacobison, the artist for Flippin' Finds, we're going to do a, a little tour from the March 13th through the 15th. We're just going to kind of run around uh southern ohio All like right, mid okay. to southern ohio indiana and up to michigan and visit a couple board game cafes so if anybody is interested in how that went feel free to shoot me a message i'm looking forward to that little adventure <laughs> that's cool excellent i wish you best of luck with that if you want to keep an eye on the little adventures that we're going to be up to you can find us on twitter um Facebook, Instagram, if you search for We're Not Wizards, if you search We're Not Wizards on Facebook, um, you'll find us there. On YouTube, you'll find us there. If you really like the show, then please um, drop us a subscription on any of the normal kind of podcast catchers, like your Spreaker and Stitcher and Acast and Podknife. Um, If you like what you've heard, please consider dropping us a subscription on Apple Podcasts. Um, if you really, really like us, consider dropping us a rating or a review. And as we said, if you if you are going to give us a rating or a review, don't give us a 10, because that'll make us big-headed. Don't give us a 1, because that'll make us cry. Give us a 5, because it's in the middle, and it's average, and we are a bit average. But the person who's not been average is the wonderful the fantastic Mr. Gerald King. So thank you once again for coming on, Gerald. Thank you. Thank you very much, Richard. It has been fantastic, man. <laughs> I really, I'm really glad. I'm really glad we actually got this done. There you go. Um, I just got... There's only two more things to do. Uh, the first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Gerald? No. No, absolutely not. We're not absolutely wizards. Definitely not. 
And the second, I'm nowhere near that impressive. <laughs> and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Gerald. Say goodbye, Gerald. Goodbye, Gerald. <laughs> and it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Roll sixes. Um, I want a couple of sides of bacon. My eggs over easy. Get that block coffee. Um, a little bit of cream, a little bit of sugar, but keep it coming. <laughs> and you're yeah, f- I'll take I'll take black coffee <laughs> with a Red Bull after. <laughs> But until the next time, goodbye. Goodbye.